welcome. Thanks for joining me to another episode of Business and Legal Week in Review. I'm your host, I think, Peter Lamont. I am not promising anything but slow-moving activity today, Bob, because I am just out of it. Double- I don't know what happened. <laughs> Double-check your name tag. <laughs> yeah, so last time I checked, I was Peter, but man, I'll tell you, this was um, this was a long but short weekend at the same time. I can't believe Monday's oh, here, yeah. and it's just it's screwing with my head. Well, it's uh, it's yeah, that's what summer does to you. It's too much <laughs> light. You have seasonal you you have the inverse of seasonal affective disorder. That's right. <laughs> I have too much uh, too much vitamin K surging <laughs> through my body. Yeah, something. <laughs> so before we get into um, today's news stories. I just want to make a couple announcements. First of all, last week we had a really, really great week. We had a lot of big guests on and a lot of great information that was um, was given out. So last week we had Leah Bell, who is the author of The Angry Grad. We talked to her all about sort of the myths associated with going to college and the expense associated with college and how student loans are handed out like candy. And, you know, you compare student loans where you've got no credit, no job, no nothing, and a mortgage. And for a mortgage, you're selling your left kidney. But for a student loan, they hand them out. So, <laughs> you know, that's so isn't true, that right? Exactly. Part of what, part of, part of what, yes, isn't that what part of what caused the, uh, the meltdown of 07 08 with the banks was unsecured mortgages? Yeah. Yeah. So you're unsecurely. They learn. But you know what? They bank on these kids future thinking, well, you're going to go to college, therefore you're going to get a job. But what people don't realize is you go to college. And so what anymore? Because the jobs aren't out there. You've got plenty of college kids doing non-college education necessary jobs. And combine that with, you know, entrepreneurship and the Internet. And it's a completely different Mm -hmm. dynamic. Because nowadays, you don't need that brick and mortar. You don't need to be in that office. You could be really your own self-made man or woman because the Internet provides you with so many options. And it's really true. It's just a matter of learning how to kind of harness that that, that, that earning power. So that was a really great show. That's exactly what I do. Yeah. Yeah. and and My my college education has gone to waste. It's true, right? It's totally true. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to be mm-hmm. interviewing you to learn your secrets. <laughs> and then, uh, well, yeah, we'll see how that five, five <laughs> minutes in be next caller. <laughs> well, after after we had Leah on on Wednesday, we had JD, um, and he is from FeedbackToReviews.com, and he's a marketing expert. And his show was really great too because he talked all about not just his software, FeedbackToReviews.com, but all about the importance of online reviews, how to go out and get them, what some of the mistakes are that small business owners make by not going out and soliciting feedback as opposed to reviews. So that was a great show. And then Thursday, we had Kimberly Guilfoyle on from Fox News. She has written a book mm-hmm. about making, her, making your case. Um, for those of you who don't know, She's a big name on Fox. She uh, was a trial attorney out in California. She had a high-profile dog mauling case. 
Then she got um, on the court TV. From there, she's one of the co-hosts of The Five on Fox News, and she's written this book. So we had her on. We talked to her about the book, some of her past experiences, you know, what her childhood was like, how that shaped her, because, you know, she's now an, an anchor person, a host beyond the legal world. But it's interesting to see how some of that legal training, I use that word loosely, training, um, oh, sure translated into her success that she has today. So that was a, a great week of interviews and uh, a lot of information. So uh, even if you look at Howard Cosell was a, uh, was a lawyer. He was, I didn't even know that. He was. Wow. Um, I think, um, I can't remember how he ended up in sports, but uh, yeah, he was a lawyer first. I had no idea. Go figure. That is a very interesting tidbit. And that's going to do it for today's show. Now, do you, were you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good call. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was actually right not far. He was practicing uh, union law primarily in Manhattan, not far from you. Some of his clients were actors and athletes. According to All Things True on the Internet, Wikipedia. Wow. Wow. And then he smartened up and there became something else. <laughs> he left that all behind. <laughs> Go figure. Well, so. One of these days, any, Peter, Peter won't be here. <laughs> that's right. One of these days, yeah. Peter will be dead in his chair behind the desk. He'll be coming in to hand me papers and I'll be slouched over. I'll never forget the first. Shit, I went into broadcasting. Yeah. The first law firm I worked for was on Wall Street, and it was this huge firm. I mean, there were like eight floors. You didn't even know half the people that you mm-hmm. worked with. And the, the managing partner was super old at the time. And I think he's still alive, so that must mean like crypt keeper age. Um, but I'll never forget, he would call me into his office to, to give me a research project. And in the middle of, of giving me the assignment, he'd fall asleep. And there'd be like drool coming out of his mouth. Oh. And you just sit there, and you don't know what to do. What do you do? You know, so I'm like <clears throat> trying to wake him up, but and I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's going to be me. I'll be, you know, wow. in my chair. They're going to have to have the paramedics come in and get me. <laughs> so is that that's the new way to retire? Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, they no. just throw they throw you in the garbage uh, garbage chute. And you're good to go. All right, so uh, before we we start. <laughs> Just a couple other announcements. Um, we've got a number of upcoming shows. Um, for those of you who are watching live on YouTube, Lee Cockrell wrote a book called Time Management Magic. And Lee is a former executive vice, uh, vice president of, not rice, but vice. I told you, see, Mondays are just no good. Vice president of operations there you go. at uh, Walt Disney World Resort. And he has a number of books out. This is his most recent, you know, it's it's a little bit um, older. I think that I picked this one up uh, at the end of last year, and I've been meaning to review it but haven't had a chance. He's going to be on the show to talk about his experience at Disney World and what you can learn from him and from the management style that they have over there and from his management style. So he's going to be coming up on the show. We've got a, a number of other people Um Eric Van Holtz from Beard Brand. He was a, a – Eric is a really fascinating guy. I happen to be 
sporting a beard lately. And, um, you know, every once in a while I'll shave it off, but I just have this urge to let it grow. And he owns a company called Beer Brand, Beard Brand, and they sell beard oil and other things that you just totally didn't know you need until you realize you need them. And yeah. he was on he was on Shark Tank, and so he's a really, really great guy. He's got a really great YouTube channel, a great company, and a great brand. And we're going to talk to him soon about um, what it means to be an entrepreneur in the Internet age and hopefully get some good advice from him. We're in the process of scheduling that show. So a lot of good things going on, a lot of good things happening. Uh, but that's in the future, and today you're just stuck with me and Bob. That's all right, though. We'll be We'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be okay. But hey, you know what? It was another another busy week. So it the the um, the uh, the media and the law firms never leave us with a shortage of material. No, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, let's just uh, thank today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Audible. Audible. I don't need to even tell you what Audible is anymore. Audible is the world's largest provider of audio content on the internet. Um, I just downloaded a bunch of books over the weekend because I was taking my family for a weekend out in Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, and um, needed to have something to do when the kids went to bed. So downloaded a bunch of books. Uh, it's really great. They've got really fresh new content. You can get through books. My favorite feature, by the way, is on the app. They allow you to speed up the reading to one and a half times or two times the actual speed of the recording, so you can get oh, your yeah. book in a shorter period of time. It's kind of cool. Um, but anyway, I want to thank them for sponsoring the show. And anybody who listens to UTL Radio, subscriber, live, listener, whatever you are, if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash UTL Radio, you can download a free audio book, no strings attached, something you should take advantage of. So thanks to them for uh, sponsoring the show. And I have to just say, while we don't get paid to plug this company, I happen to also be a uh, a cigar guy, and every time I go out to Lancaster County, we always hit Hershey, um, Pennsylvania, on the way home, and as I come down, getting back into Jersey, there's this super huge, large Cigars International, and they have this big online store, <laughs> but the building is super huge, and so I was in there yesterday, and that was great to uh, to go back to, got myself some stuff, so I'm very excited about that. That is all I have, Bob, so take it away. That's all right. Now, walking in that store must be quite a treat to the nose. Well, you know what? It's really – now, ask my wife, and she'll tell you a different story, but it's I, like – I'm, I'm not being sarcastic for me, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a big humidor, right? The entire place is sure. humidified and controlled, but they have such ventilation that it really – for me, I don't smell anything when I walk in. And I really don't think mm -hmm. it's that bad when I walk out either because I don't get as many complaints as if I go into a local cigar shop that might not have that level of ventilation. So sure. it's, uh, it's really fascinating. I, I love it. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. But that's just me. Yep. <laughs> Road trip. <laughs> uh, well, parents, 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 what are we going to do with you? So the government always asks, parents are under investigation after an 11-year-old plays alone in the yard for 90 minutes. What? That's horrible. Playing alone? Playing at all? Child Protective Services is in the hot seat again, this time in Florida, where officials placed two brothers in foster care and then in the care of a relative after one of them, 11-year-old, was found playing basketball alone in his own yard. 
Well, the way the latest incident went down in April was like this. According to the mom's story, the mom and dad, Cindy and Fred, we'll call them, were on their way home from running errands but were delayed by rain and traffic. Meanwhile, their 11-year-old son had beaten them home. Didn't have a house key. He does now, though, you can bet. So he assumed him, or amused himself by shooting some hoops while he waited for about 90 minutes. That's when an unknown neighbor, apparently not okay with the situation, called the cops, who in turn brought in CPS to the loop. So when Cindy and Fred arrived home, they were arrested for child neglect, fingerprinted, strip searched, and held in jail overnight. Their kids, meanwhile, including their four-year-old boy, were, were removed from the home and from their parents' custody for one month. It seems like a punishment. I'm, I'm curious, though. I may try this. Um, we still do not have our children, she says. We are fighting for our own freedom, and due to the nature of my employment, she works for a school district, I am no longer employed. Cindy wrote to an advocate, my son was playing in his own yard, basket, playing basketball, not in the street, not at the park. The authorities claim he had no access to water or shelter. We have an open shed in the backyard and two working sinks and two hoses. They said he had no food. He had already eaten his snacks. He had no bathroom, they said. But the responding officer seemed to find our yard good enough to relieve himself while, in our, while our son sat in the police car by himself in his own yard in a state, Florida, that has no minimum age for a child to be alone. So according to Reason.com, the judge instructed the family's lawyer and the prosecutor to try to come to a mutual agreement and return to court at the end of the month. The parents must still defend themselves in criminal court family has been mandated into therapy for god's sakes and the kids into summer camp where they will be supervised there's a I, I, as much negative as there is to this story i'm seeing a whole lot of positives as a parent looking for a vacation um you know, in, all, you know <laughs> in all seriousness um you know you know gosh and golly what is it going to come where's it going to stop is, is there going to have to be some kind of um, mandatory, and, and again, you know, when you get to age, it can be so subjective because some ten-year-olds act better than fifteen-year-olds. But yeah. as a parent, as a parent, how do you defend this? What do you do? You know, I think that uh, this is terrible. Quite honestly, as a parent myself, who just, you know, I'll tell you, this morning, my wife had to drive me to the office because. My car was, was mm-hmm. down the, the street, and I was running late. And so I've got you know, a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, and an almost 4-year-old. I'm talking like around the corner is where we had to go. And I was, you know, my wife said, just leave them home. They'll be all right. I'm going to be gone for five minutes. And after seeing stories like this, I, I just can't do it anymore <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really scary because it, it shouldn't be this way. I think that parents need to be allowed to be parents, and most parents, I would say probably 99% of parents, are aware of the limitations of their children. They, they do the best that they can to protect them, to take care of them. They would never want to harm their children. Maybe 1% of the population, they don't care. They didn't want the kids. They're neglectful. But 1%, it, it just seems now that you're going to have people looking over your shoulder, nosy neighbors, police officers, and for whatever reason. Yeah, it's just, it's not, like, it, it worries me. It scares me. It's, it's, it's worse than a Big Brother scenario because at least, and I say at least, but at least with a Big Brother scenario, there's a central agency watching. Here, you've got all these <laughs> individuals 
You've got one cop who doesn't like you for whatever reason. You gave him a dirty look. You've got a neighbor who doesn't like you because you put up a fence. It's it, it just nonstop. Somebody's going to come over. I mean, that's insane. A kid in his backyard. I, I, you know, if I were the parents, I would be getting lawyers not only to defend myself in criminal court, but I would look for um, a, a lawyer to maybe prosecute a claim. I don't necessarily know that any of the civil rights have been violated because we've talked so many times about that really high standard that you have in order to sue a municipality. Sure. But man, I would do it. I think I, I always say never, ever, ever sue somebody because it's the principle of the thing. It's the number one reason not to file a lawsuit. But, you know, I'd be so outraged here that I think I'd roll the dice. Well, and you've got the municipality kind of trying to protect themselves. Can you imagine what would happen if the neighbor calls in, the cops show up, the cops determine the child's fine, the cops leave, and then the child is hurt? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that this particular set of parents would have reacted to the the police and saying, well, you were there, why didn't you stay with them? Because that flies in the face of what they were doing in the first place. But that 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 plausible deniability is now gone as far as what their responsibility was to that child um but i, I mean as a, as a citizen i mean how do you defend yourself against this you know you i think it? i think that you have to be hyper aware of your surroundings and i have become hyper aware and anal retentive with a lot of things where I might leave the kids in the car for a second while I'm going to run into a store and I can see them from the store window. Now I don't because and they're done you don't, yeah, you just don't know. You don't know if somebody is going to, for whatever reason, you know, uh, I'll tell you years and years ago, I mean, years ago, my wife and I, we were newly married and we were having problems with my family. And, you know, there was all kinds of fighting. And I remember that my wife went to church. I had to stay home because there was a problem with uh, a gas line or something. And she came home and had a really bad experience with my, my family. They were, they were, you know, not getting along. And so we were having an argument. I went outside to the car to greet her. And she came out of the car like a tornado telling me how bad my family was. And, um, I guess <laughs> at that time, I just wasn't as supportive as I, sh- I should have been. I was. It was years ago. I was too immature. We were just married. And I had just kind of left you know, my, my family. So we're having a a verbal disagreement, no fighting. I would never touch her. She wouldn't do it to me. We were just arguing outside and somebody drove by, saw us arguing and called the police and the police came to investigate (laughs) what was going on. And I was so upset by the fact that, you know, here are the police involved in my argument over my family Oh, it was, it was irritating. So now, having had that experience, listen, I mean, even if it's my wife yelling at my kids because they're doing something wrong or me yelling at them, I don't do it in public. Um, and we're really, really fair with our kids. I mean, probably pushovers. But every once in a while, you have to tell a kid, no, you can't have that. No, you can't do that. I just watch sure. where I do it because you just don't know. And that's really a burden on us as parents to to say, hey, you know what? Um, I can't talk to my kid or discipline my kid 
in a nonviolent way. I can't even have an argument with them simply because you never know who's going to be watching. And I think it's really a shame. I don't know why it has come down to this. I don't know why it is um, it is this way. I really don't. I mean, I understand protecting kids. I, I think that protecting kids is the number one. I think it's the most important. But you've got a way protecting the kids with protecting the rights of the parents. And that's what worries me because this scenario where a kid is in his backyard, his own backyard, for 90 minutes, an hour and a half, you're going to come and say that they need therapy and that the kid was being mistreated and he didn't have food. Oh, my God. I mean, if you put food in front of my kids, they'd eat all day long. But, you know, you can certainly go for 90 minutes without food. It just doesn't make any sense to me that, uh, you know, this argument that there's no food available. That's crazy. You need to eat every what? Every 30 minutes a kid needs to eat? That's completely ridiculous. So I think this is... <laughs> Super, super disturbing. This really upsets me. Well, I don't think it's going to get any better either. No, I think it's going to get worse. And I think that the more that this happens, I think, you know, look, your options as parents are roll the dice and see what happens or really control your environment, control what you do, control, you know, I, I, uh, I don't live in an underground bunker. But I put up a nice big fence. I don't want people in my business. And unfortunately, the way that, especially, probably not where you are, Bob, but where I am, like houses are on top of each other because it's just so densely populated. Right. So, you know, you can look out your window and if you get the right angle, you can see into the neighbor's house. So, you know, you just, you and you can hear people talking. So it's just something that I'm hyper aware of now, but it just, it sucks that it has to be that way. And that's a legal term. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I mean, <laughs> get me the Latin translation on that. Um, the <laughs> is, you know, is there almost a, you know, let, me, let me back up even further before I put this cart in front of this horse. My, I, my oldest is 11 right now. And then we have an eight year old or seven year old. She'll be eight this year. But the 11 year old come next year, obviously is going to be 12. If math serves me correctly. And, you know, gosh, at 12 years old, I stayed by myself, not overnight, but a couple hours. Mom, Dan had to run to the store, whatever. Hey, we'll be back in an hour or two. You know, don't don't do anything stupid. Um, she's going to get to that point, and she is very mature. She she can figure things out. She's not stupid and uh, very capable. But is there a degree of preemptive cation you can do with law enforcement or something to say, hey, you know what? And is is that even possible to say, you know, I'm going to be gone for a couple hours. The kids are going to be gone. Don't, don't arrest me. I would, I personally, I would be so afraid of doing that because you get the wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and they're the minute that you pull out of the driveway, they're there with the SWAT team. So <laughs> no, I mean, there's really, there's very little that you can do. I think that you really have to, to use your best judgment and err on the side of caution. I agree with you. Sometimes 10-year-olds can be more mature than 13-year-olds or 14-year-olds. It really depends on your individual uh, child's maturity level. And that's not something sure. that the so police question. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's take a maturity no. test and see if you're capable of 
staying home for 15 minutes. It's just, I don't know. They've taken... <laughs> well, is it, pre- well, that's why I say that, though. Because isn't the threshold of, of, about leaving a child by itself whether or not they can make decisions for themselves? Isn't that the threshold they use? It depends on the state. It depends on the state. And I think it depends oh, okay. on the individuals. Okay. And on top of that, I think when you're dealing with the, the police, I don't think any of that matters. Because I think that they do what they want to do. Sure. You know, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's no different than this. And I know that it's a slightly different um, analogy. But when you have a neighbor who works for the fire department, volunteer fire department, and, and not that I'm speaking out of experience, but if you have a neighbor who works for a volunteer fire department and you have a town ordinance that says that your grass cannot be above two or three inches high, whatever the stupid rule is, and right. their lawn looks like the uh, rainforest, okay? I mean, squirrels get lost in the grass. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> and your grass is slightly, slightly in need of a trim. It's amazing how, you know, the police or the town will come and they will enforce that ordinance against certain people. And and really, I mean, I do have a neighbor that is a fire member. It's not me. I do cut my lawn, I promise. I actually enjoy it. It's the only time I get to <laughs> think by myself. Um, but there are people that are down the block from me that get ticketed and, and tagged all the time. And it's just amazing to see you're not a, a fireman and your lawn is the same height as this other guy, but they choose to overlook that. And that's that element of unfairness. That's why I say all the time the law is not fair because we're people. And so how can I ticket Mr. Smith, who who's a volunteer fireman, but that guy down the street, I don't know him, so I'll enforce it against him. I'm sure you see that by you too. Oh, sure. No, oh, yeah. And that's wherever you go. Yeah. It's, regardless, and, and it's just not that. It's, you know, it's drunk driving. It's, 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 it's all sorts of different uh, issues with the law that you have to be careful of. Yeah. When it comes to favoritism. Yeah, so I would. I, that's why I'd never call the police and say, "I'm going away." You know, I remember when I was younger. Yeah, my parents used to call the police before we would go on vacation back in the '70s. You know, they they'd call right. them up and they'd say, right. "Remember that?" I wouldn't do that now. You don't know if yes. someone's going to be in your house. I've got security cameras <laughs> everywhere. When I'm going away, I'm laying out the barbed wire yeah. and the bear traps. Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it, that's exactly correct. Yeah, you used to do that. Yeah, that was that was the old serve part of the protect and serve, I guess. Yeah, they dropped that though for uh, cost effect. Gone away, as we well know. Yeah, it's just the protect. <laughs> we just protect. Oh, speaking of protecting and serving, <laughs> you're protected. You're covered. <laughs> Rachel Dolezal. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right. I've been trying to ignore this. <laughs> I identify as black. You may. Not everybody else does. Spokane, Washington. Rachel Dalazow, who stepped down Monday as president of the Spokane, Washington branch of the NAACP amid questions surrounding her racial identity, said Tuesday she identifies as black. Dalazow, who was born to white parents, told NBC News that she began identifying as black as early as age five. I was drawing self-portraits with the brown crayon instead of the peach crayon, she told the Today Show. Said she takes exception to claims she deceived people into thinking she was black or mixed race because it aided her professional growth. I identify as black, she said, Dalazal. 
said her hairstyle and light brown skin. I don't certainly don't stay out of the sun, prompted people to assume she was black. She acknowledged that she didn't discourage the assumptions. <laughs> people think I'm a nice guy. I don't discourage him. She defended having claimed to some friends that a black man, Albert Wilkerson, was her father. Albert Wir- Albert Wilkerson Albert Wilkerson is my dad. Any man can be a father. Not every man can be a dad, she said. On Monday night, Dalazal's parents told CNN that when she was growing up, she gave no indication that she might want to take on a new racial identity. The controversy spurred discussions across the nation about what constitutes race and whether one has the right to adopt a new identity if they have not lived the experience. The developments prompted Dalazal 37 to issue a statement Monday announcing that she would step down from her NAACP post. Now, Dalazal sued Howard University for discrimination while she was a graduate student in 2001. In the suit, Dalazal says black students, apparently not her, at the historically black institution were favored over her, and it was ultimately thrown out. Dalazal told today that she was passed over for a teaching assistant job, was denied financial aid, and suffered other discrimination. Dalazal stood by her claims, though, telling today that she was treated unfairly at the school. My life has been one of survival, she told today. The decision I have made along the way, including my identification, have been to survive. So what I'm reading into this is that you apparently had problems surviving as a white person, so you decided to, in order to survive, become a black person. Good call. Wow. Um, now, the, re- <laughs> the reason I, we're talking about this, I think, in, in our show is, is how, it, how it deals with people in general. You know, what, who says you are who you are? The government. Correct? To, to an extent. You know, I, I take issue with this woman. It's a significant issue with what she's done here. Because it seems as though she was a major opportunist. And if mm-hmm. they were giving away scholarship uh, to wombats, she might have identified herself as a wombat. So <laughs> I, I think that this woman is, I think, a scammer. Because, you know, here, here's where I struggle with this, okay? If you want to say that you are feminine and have feminine, you know, if you're, you're Bruce Jenner... And, and you have identified yourself as a woman, and you're going to start dressing as a woman because that's what you really believe you are. I can almost accept that, as, as bizarre as that might sound, I can almost accept that because you're making a conscious change to change your gender. But how does one change one's race? You are what you are. I mean, that's like an Asian person coming and saying, you know, I'm, I'm Caucasian. But wait a minute, you don't look like a Caucasian. That's the identifier. I don't really think that you can change your cultural ancestry and and make it what you want. I mean, that's like me saying I'm Norwegian, and I'm going to tell everybody I'm six foot five and I've got a locks, locks of blonde hair. I look like Thor, but I don't. I look like Al Capone. So you know, come on. I don't. I don't buy them. <laughs> Um, you know, it's something you said, you know, it's, it's a conscious choice. You know, if you're, you're, you're Bruce Jenner or anyone for that matter, you are making not only a conscious choice, but you're making serious and 
I don't want to say irreversible because nothing is irreversible anymore, but you're making serious changes to yourself physically that is not solved by a crimping tool for your hair and a tanner on the weekend. Yeah. This is, you know, that's, that's a totally different thing. This, this I equate to, you know, there, there's, there, there's the, the discussion as to you were born gay or straight, and, and, and that's fine if that's what it is. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to determine that. I just kind of take it for what it is. But if that's the case, you're born, you're born white or black. It's the same. You can't go through re-education to unblacken yourself or unwhiten yourself or ungay just, yourself or exactly. unstraight yourself. Look at Michael you Jackson. Are what you are. Did Michael Jackson's whitening work? My no. wife brought my wife brought that up, I, and, and I said the difference between her and Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson reportedly had an affliction. Yes. With, sure his, with, with the loss of melanin in his skin. <laughs> well, yeah, I need to be more specific, don't I? Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we're walking on his grave. Um, but he had a, a, a skin malady, if is, yeah. if I understand it correctly, where he was losing melanin, and so what he did was progress it along with the use of medication. I think, is if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, he had a lot of to, he had a lot of facial blotching. Yeah, you know, and and yeah. he had a lot of facial surgery though that transformed him from um, a broader, more uh, African American type nose to a very thin mannequin at Macy's nose. But it he didn't. I don't think he ever very once said. <laughs> yes, I don't think he ever once said. I'm not African-American. I'm not black. I'm True. white. I don't think he True. ever said that. As a matter of fact, didn't he say it doesn't matter if you're black or white in that song? You uh, want to he, sing that? He may have sang it. Yes, he may have sung it. Sorry, sorry my grammar. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. And so, and, and this, yeah, this, this individual. But the bigger question is, is how do you, in an everyday life, or if you're a business owner, and, and the, the greater question is asked in my mind is, What's the correct way, whether it's black or white or whether it's gay or straight, when you have an issue, how, I mean, probably the first thing to do is get your HR people and get to to see a lawyer quick when you start to you have know, problems with somebody saying, hey, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not this, I'm this, and, and you're you're discriminating against me. Yeah, that's the best advice because I think that when you initially bring people on, right, there's all these multiple stages of possible um, discriminatory behavior on the part of an employer. So the first possible stage is at the interview level where you're right. telling somebody, I'm not going to hire you because you're gay, black, Indian, whatever you might be. So first rule of thumb is don't be, don't be stupid. I don't know how else to say that, but there is absolutely right. no reason, no reason with the wealth of vocabulary that we as Americans have for you to tell somebody that you're not hiring them because they're pregnant, they have cancer, they're black, they're white, they're, they're uh, you know, whatever. They're gay, they're not gay. You even, just... Even if, even if that is your reason, it doesn't, right or wrong, don't yep. say it. <laughs> right, because nobody knows why you are making your decision until you either tell somebody or you act in a consistent manner where somebody can establish a pattern of you deliberately not doing 
something against a certain group. You, you know, you're not hiring African Americans, and and that does happen. When I was at that large law firm with the guy that was drooling all the time, they had a very very large um, worldwide automotive account, and they came in from that company who was big on diversity. And they said, wait a minute, you don't have enough women, you don't have enough African-American people staffing this, we're pulling our, our files. So diversity is something that everybody looks at. That's not discrimination in what was going on there. But, all right, so stage one, don't be stupid and don't tell somebody, I'm not going to hire you because I think you're gay. You're stupid if you do that. But then once you have them on board, you know, that's when people start to kind of show their true colors, you could hire somebody, think they're great, and six sure. months or a year down the line, all of a sudden, it's, hey, wait a minute, you know, I don't know that, that, that I've ever said this to you, but I'm really, I'm really Asian, and you're mistreating me because I'm the only Asian here. And meanwhile, you know, you're, you're black, but you tell me you're Asian. That's when you, necess- you need to just go out and get your lawyer and say, listen, I got a problem. There's an African-American guy here <laughs> who says he's Asian, and he says I'm discriminating against him because he's Asian. That's when you need to get help immediately. Don't let that go, and do not try to handle something like that on your own. Never. And and there's probably really nothing. I don't say there's anything wrong with it, but when a view, there's something. I'm sure there's something in your behavior that has led them to believe that, and that's what you have to fix. Because I've always been told in every HR class I've had, it's not what you do; it's how it's perceived as with most things in life. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And if you see somebody that comes into your office for an interview, and um, let's say it's somebody, a man dressed like a woman, as shocking as that might be, because maybe you're not expecting that, you certainly can't let your facial expressions show, because that would be something that somebody would turn around and say, listen, I'm transgender and you discriminated against me on the basis of it. How do I know? Because when you, you know, I walked into your office, you know, you looked at me with your mouth open and said, what the hell? And then interviewed me. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Always a good indicator. (laughs) The mouth drop. Yep. Yeah. So, but yeah, get, get, get help (laughs) quick. Oh, the Supreme Court wrapped up its session or is getting ready to wrap up its session. And one of the cases we've been talking about for a little bit is Texas and its Confederate flag plate. Well, Texas is okay to reject that Confederate flag plate, according to Supreme Court. Washington CNN is telling us that the Supreme Court ruled Thursday that Texas is allowed to reject a license plate designed that featured a Confederate battle flag. In a 5-4 decision authored by Justice Stephen Breyer, the court held that the license plates designs are government, not private, and that's as far when it comes to speech, and that the government is allowed to discriminate based upon content when it speaks. When the government speaks, it is not barred by the free speech clause from determining the content of what it says, Breyer wrote. Breyer's opinion was joined by an unusual lineup of Justices Clarence Thomas, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan. At issue was a license plate design submitted by a group called the Sons of Confederate Veterans and, promo- and prominently controversial Confederate battle flag. The group sought to honor the reputation of soldiers who fought for the Confederacy during the Civil War. 
It argued that when the state rejected the design, it had violated the group's free speech rights. But Breyer said that because private speech was not at issue in this case, just as Texas cannot require the SCV to convey the state's ideological message, SCV cannot force Texas to include a Confederate battle flag on its specialty license plates. The decision is likely to affect specialty license plate programs in other states, and this is important, including a circuit split below concerning choose life plates concerning the issue of abortion. Many other states have similar specialty license plate programs, and today's decision gives these powers states the power to control what messages it will permit on these plates, says Mary Rose uh, um, Papandrea of Boston College Law School. Now, Justice Samuel Alito dissented from the opinion, finding that the messages on the plates are not government speech, but private speech subjected to the First Amendment protection. He was joined by Chief Justice John Roberts, Antonin Scalia, and Justice Anthony Kennedy. Unfortunately, Alito wrote, the court's decision categorizes private speech as government speech and thus strips it of all First Amendment protection. Uh, I think they got it right. We've talked about this on various topics, Peter. Um, not not just this plate, which we've talked about in the past, but other, once the government is 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 really sponsoring the speech, it's it's similar if you're going to put the Ten Commandments on the front lawn of the courthouse. Yep, yep, absolutely. And and this goes back to last year when we talked about um, the Satanists. I, I can't remember the name of the organization, oh, the yeah. American Church of Satan or whatever wanting to put the statute in the Oklahoma State Capitol and the Oklahoma State lawmakers saying, yes, every religion can be represented if you pay for it. Oh, except for you, Satanists. And as much right. as I don't think that there is a place for uh, worshiping Satan, I think that from a legal perspective, if you're going to allow it for one, then you allow it for all, so long as they abide by all of the terms. You can't create these other terms on the fly because you don't like what they're going to do. You know, the uh, the Confederate flag's big now because there's uh, the whole issue yes. with the flag over in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and whether or not that battle flag should fly on state buildings. Um, it's interesting in general because I think that, well, you know what's interesting for me is this. It's interesting that the Confederate flag still lives on in any state function or any state related function because when the Soviet Union disbanded they were done with the hammer and sickle you you don't see it anymore and why after the Civil War you know I know it was years and years ago and I know it was a different mindset and I understand that so many of the people in the South who were very confederately uh, or confederate loyalists they didn't, even though they lost, they didn't want to take down that flag. It was a, a matter of pride for them, and I get that. But as we have changed and evolved over time, I don't see necessarily how the Confederate flag has any relevance in this day and age. So forgetting its symbolism for a second, I don't see its relevance. Why would you still fly that flag purely from a is-it-relevant standard? We don't fly... The 12 colony flag, I do at my house, by the way, and that's because I believe the 12 colonies <laughs> were the, the original United States. But I digress, and I'm not going to get into that political discussion. But, but, um, <laughs> you get where I'm going with this? Why would You're they saying? still, why would they still yeah. fly the Confederate flag? So, 
forget the legal Hold for on, a minute. You, you, you drove to a good point there. Uh huh. I don't understand it. Why? Why have it? Well, you you hit on a point there. It's your personal choice to do what you want on your flagpole. But when it comes to recognizing a government entity or whatever you want to call the Confederacy, really was a country at the time in their own mind. Um, you don't you you stop. You know, we don't identify with the Nazi flag anymore for obvious reasons. Um, but the most obvious is that the, the Third Reich doesn't exist anymore. Right. Germany as we knew it then. Um, and, and actually, you know, I mean, I will very rarely agree with President Obama, but he said, yeah, basically this thing belongs in a museum. It does not belong in a flagpole. I agree if, with that, you too. You want to celebrate it? Go celebrate it. Go, go celebrate it with, at, at the museum. That's where it belongs. It does not belong. In a, and, and the sad thing, have you seen the law that maintains the flying of the Confederate flag in South Carolina? No. No, I've not. <laughs> um, without having it in front of me, they've made it incredibly difficult to get rid of it. It has to fly at, I think, at least at 30 feet. It it it, it has to, um, you have to get two-thirds of the legislature to vote it out. It has to, there's, there's a ton of restrictions they, they, they put on this. And, and it wasn't long ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, when they made some changes to it and they had, there was some deal-making. And I should go back and find the article and send it to you because it's really interesting the way that the we'll, we'll say the, the 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 keepers of the flag secured that place so that it wasn't going anywhere, and the people that were against the flag really just said, "Man, if we could just get a little bit give on this, it would be great." And uh, it's really an interesting law, and, and and it's not going to be easy to get rid of because it's a law. And so they're going to have a hard time impressing upon two thirds of the legislators in that state to get rid of it. It may it it may end up getting settled in the court. Who knows? I think it, it could, or I think that if the overwhelming majority, because a lot of the demonstrations in South Carolina, South Carolina now, um, they, they're mm-hmm. they're equal uh, participants from very different racial pools, and I think that if there right. was enough. Uh, influence from the voting public, then I think it will be easier for uh, the legislature to understand, hey, if we want to be in office, we better listen to the people. The thing with the Confederate... Probably probably one of the things they're going to have to do is get it down to the ballot. It's going to have to go to state referendum. I think so, too. Uh, Here's here's my issue with, with some of these flags, especially the Confederate flag. First of all, you're right. The Nazi flag is um, no longer used because there's no Third Reich. Now, the flag is a historical image, and you cannot teach history without teaching about the swastika. You also cannot, um, you, you can't eliminate the fact that the swastika was not a uh, symbol of hatred when Hitler adopted it to put it on the flag. It was a Germanic, right. uh, Norwegian uh, symbol. It used to be a Norwegian rune that the Vikings used. So its symbolism was adopted by Hitler, was morphed, changed, and now when people see that swastika, it just sort of um, it hits a nerve because of its symbolism that he used. The Confederate flag is similar in a sense. 
at the time of the Civil War, uh, and I happen to, to like the Civil War, I like learning about it, the Civil War was not just about slavery. It was not just about the South having slaves. I think slavery was detestable. I think it was, it's wrong in every way that you look at it. Um, but we're talking about hundreds of years ago, and it's not saying that it was right then, but I'm saying that they didn't understand then. Um, but that flag did not say, you know, we're all in favor of, of slavery. It said a lot of things, but not just slavery. So I don't see the symbolism being the same as the swastika on the Nazi flag, because even though, again, that was the origination of the swastika, when you see that, you associate that with, with hate. But when you see the Confederate flag, I think most of us still associate it with hate because of its use by the Ku Klux Klan. But I think that it does not have that same meaning because it was the United States broken apart into two different political factions. That's part of our history. And I don't know, I have a different feeling about the Confederate flag. I don't believe it, it, it deserves to hang on any government building. I think it is a museum piece. But, you know, could you imagine if there was a swastika flying on a state building versus the Confederate flag, the outrage, the, 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 the difference in opinion about it? <laughs> it would, yeah, no. <laughs> It, it would it, it wouldn't be uh it it would be a, a different story. Um, and actually, I, I went and found that article back in 2000. Civil rights activists successfully lobbied to have a much larger Confederate flag removed from the Capitol dome, but there was a compromise. The South Carolina Heritage Act decreed that just about all other tributes to Confederate history would be virtually untouchable. The only way to change anything of that nature, including the smaller flag that was erected on the state house lawn, would be to gain the endorsement of two-thirds lawmakers. Even the height of the rebel flag at the state capitol is mandated in the law, 30 feet. It does not have a pulley system, so there's no way to take it down. There's only one way to fly it, all the way up. Wow. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, I really don't understand it. Um, but you know, I think that part of the problem with it from uh, a politically correct standpoint, and, and just to, to clarify, I don't think it has any place anywhere. And no, no. you know, it, it does have negative connotations. Interestingly enough though, when I watched the Dukes of Hazard growing up, that Confederate flag didn't have that same meaning to me on the General Lee. And, you know, nowadays, it, it's got this negative thing. I, I don't know. I mean, it's always been a negative symbol because it was adopted by the Ku Klux Klan. And when you see the flag, you associate it with the Ku Klux Klan. Therefore, you associate it with hate and racism. Um, it is a historical piece. It should be put away. It shouldn't be flown. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. And I, I, have, I have this issue with South Carolina and North Carolina. And not the entire population, but have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever been down there to North or South Carolina? I have. Okay. Cool, yes. There, there is a, especially when you go into the Charleston area, super wealthy, super white, and very elitist. And I oh. wonder how, I mean, Charleston's beautiful, but very elitist. 
And even if you, uh, there's a reality show on called Southern Charm, and it, it, it talks mm-hmm. all about um, you know these these up and coming people in Charleston. And one of the guys ran for state senate. Can't remember his name, Thomas something. And it turned out that he had all of these uh, prior drug convictions, and of course he didn't get elected. <laughs> but it's a very much of a, a an all white, very um, elite area and you could see somebody moving down in that area because of its strong uh, ties still to the message of the old south Hmm. and and that's interesting in north and south carolina to see that um and not everywhere but in little in 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 limited pockets of it so but I, i don't know i don't see that this confederate flag would be permitted anywhere other than south carolina no, and, and you know it's 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 interesting because you do see it enough, and you and you probably see it when you get into certain areas of of the Northeast, and maybe you don't. I know in Michigan here, you do see the Confederate flag still flown with an air of bigotry. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, and that's and that's the sad truth, and that's why I don't support it. I mean, there's no need for it. No, and. You know, there's this um, article on CNN right now, and they're talking about some of these demonstrators in South Carolina. And one of the signs that the demonstrators was holding up says, "This is heritage, or this heritage is hate." I don't believe that because I don't think that the original Jefferson Davis Confederacy was built on hate. I believe the Confederacy was built on politics. And um, and and money, and and beliefs, not hate. Um, you want to talk about you know heritage being built on something like hate? Go back to the Revolutionary War. Weren't all of the uh, Paul Revere and 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 John Adams? Weren't they terrorists? Weren't they rising up and committing Absolutely. terrorist acts against the the English who owned them? They were so, they were our original insurgents. You're absolutely yeah. right. So I don't know that you can necessarily say that the heritage of the Confederacy is hate. I don't buy that at all. But the same way that the Nazi flag was adopted by Hitler and translated into what it is today mm-hmm. symbolically, that's still what the Confederate flag means. Because, yes, especially in the northwest areas of New Jersey, when you go out into the sticks a little mm-hmm. bit, you see a lot of people that right. have the Confederate flag, and they are not sons of the Confederacy. They're not supporting what the Confederate <laughs> states were. That sign they may be sons of different... something, but they're not Confederacy. <laughs> right. So that sign has a definite um, uh, racial and negative, aggressive, uh, bigotry meaning to it. So I think it's it's really... At this point, I don't think that anybody can see the Confederate flag and identify it with anything other than what the Ku Klux Klan has taken it to mean, not what the original meaning of the of the flag was. Yeah, and you're and you're, you're never going to be able to ban it from personal beliefs, but you absolutely need. And this is where I'm surprised that the, the Supreme Court hasn't made a move on it or hasn't gotten this far yet, where the Supreme Court's going to come through and say, whoa, 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 whoa. This has got to stop, and, yeah. and maybe they won't. I mean, but maybe they will continue to leave it up to states. But then, then of course, it's going to have to fall into the people's hands. Yeah, 
By the way, we're talking about sure. CNN, and uh, there's some breaking news. I figure we might as well talk about it for a brief second. Those sure. inmates, those escaped inmates up in New York uh, State, they have said mm-hmm. they found DNA in a cabin and that the investigators believe that they are now hot on the trail of these two guys. They still can't believe, and this is like an absolute movie plot, how they've managed to you know, survive this long, how they managed to escape in the first place. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's and we could jump to that real quick because I, I have some notes on that. And that, that was audio from CNN because now you can't watch CNN without having a video and a commercial pop-up. But I digress. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, no, and, 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 and <laughs> yeah, don't get yet, or, or worse yet, something just popping up when you don't want it to or, or right. not being able to control it. Turning my flash off. Um, with this New York prison prison break, um, they've added these guys obviously to the U.S. Marshals most wanted list. They um, uh, there's 15 most wanted fugitives, and they've been offered fifty thousand dollar reward for information leading to their capture. The list not reserved for the worst of the worst, or excuse me, it is reserved for the worst of the worst. And U.S. Marshals Service Director Sasha Hilton saying that there's no question that David Sweat and Richard Matt fall into this category. State police asking hunters and homeowners with surveillance cameras to check their footage all the way back to June 6th, which is the day of the prison break. I mean, heck, 50 grand is 50 grand. You come up with a lead. Now, excuse me, the search for these two has been from border to border, Canada to Mexico. Wanted posters are are everywhere. Now, one theory is that the two killers could be holed up in one of the hundreds of cabins, which they're talking about now, scattered across the Adirondacks. Um, authorities using canine teams and aircrafts in the efforts to try to track them down. Now, as investigators widen their search for the future fugitives, more details are emerging about the relationships between prison tailor shop instructor Joyce Mitchell and the escapees. Authorities have said that Matt had a sexual relationship with Ms. Mitchell, or Mrs. Mitchell, sorry. Um, Mitchell, 51, is behind bars, accused of helping to break free and sneaking hacksaw blades, chisels, drill bits, a punch, and other contraband into the convict's hands before they broke out. Mitchell had been investigated in the past for an inappropriate relationship with Sweet or Sweat, excuse me, that led corrections officials to move him out of the tailor shop in 2013 and keep them separated. By all means, don't take them both out. Um, that's the year when she started having a sexual relationship with Matt. Now, a source close to the investigation is telling CNN that now the sex- sexual relationship took place in the tailor shop in the in the Clinton Correctional Facility. Interesting, we're talking about Clinton and a sexual relationship. Uh, the only known place the two were together, sources saying. Now, the court date has been, no court date has been set for Mitchell. She's pleaded not guilty to the two charges brought against her and has been talking to authorities, probably hoping for a better deal. If, she, if she's convicted, she could end up behind bars on the other side for eight years. Now, her husband also worked in the prison Taylor block. But the prosecutor said Wednesday that Lyle Mitchell didn't know about the prisoner's escape plan before it happened and wasn't aware of his wife's relationships with the inmates. After Matt and Sweat broke out, Wiley said uh, Joyce Mitchell warned her husband that the men were free and had been plotting to kill him. (laughs) Investigators are looking into whether any other prison employees or inmates played a part in the escape. Now, these guys were in the honor block of the prison. So figure that out. Uh, It's a special section that housed... Matt, Sweat, and other inmates who had gone years without significant disciplinary action and has been shut down, thank goodness, after their escape and will now be turned into a regular cell block. No more honor block for you. Um, the 
prison Nazis say, and the source within the detailed with detailed knowledge of the Clinton Correctional Facility has told CNN, being in the honor block gave inmates inmates privileges such as going outside every day, having hot plates and refrigerators in their cells, and congregating for hours in a central gallery central galley, gallery area each evening with fellow inmates, according to Richard Plumador, who worked at the facility for 35 years. Um, yeah, these guys uh, played the system, played it well. Well, you know, this Not brings up it brings up a really interesting discussion about um, the criminal justice system, one that I've often struggled with, because I remember back in law school they talked about the reason for the prison system and the reason for punishment, the different types of punishment, and what the psychological hope or the psychological thought process was in creating these, these punishments. And before I get into that, I just want to note that according to TMZ, um, the Johnson Production Group is working on a television series from the point of view of Joyce <laughs> Mitchell <laughs> about the escape. <laughs> so they don't waste any really? time cashing in the capitalist dollars. Nice. Um, wow. But, you know, getting back to the to the legal aspect of this why do people go to jail and the the thought process behind it is it is for punishment okay so strictly punitive you did something now we're going to punish you we're going to stick you in jail or it's for rehabilitative measures okay we think that if we put you in the prison system you're going to be able to come out a changed man rehabilitated and then we're going to reintroduce you into the general population and hope that whatever you did before, you're not going to do again. Now, I think on a low-level criminal, um, I, I, I guess, level, um, maybe that rehabilitation works for young kids who were involved with drugs, and maybe they made a mistake. And they go to juvie and they learn and they never do it again. But I would be really curious to know the number of true converts from crime to rehabilitation that the judicial or, or criminal system, the prison system, actually produces on an annual basis. I am sure there are a lot of people that come out and they either found God or they just realized they made a mistake and they've never done it again. But it doesn't seem to me like rehabilitation is an effective purpose for prison. What do you think? And and, and I don't know that, I, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I did juvenile and adult corrections. I, you pick a, pick a topic. I've worked it, man. Um, <laughs> I've had a busy 45 years. Um, but I, I've done juvenile and I've done adult corrections and you, there are a few who are that from my experience that were very sorry and wanted to change their ways. Usually had a reason they had a kid or, or you know, they, they, they had something going for them. But the majority of what I saw, it kind of goes back to the Shawshank redemption. Uh, I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. I was set up. Yeah. This they're always and there's some 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 um, 
Um, well, what do what do guys get to get, get together and complain about their wives? They they're not commingle. They commiserate. There's the word I'm looking for. We all yeah. we get together and we talk about our wives and <laughs> complain about them. When we get together, misery loves company, and <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> um, is they sit there and they they talk about how they were. Oh, we should have done this. We should have, and they start to try to hatch their next idea. It happens. You don't tell me it doesn't. I've seen it. I've lived it. Is it every one of them? No, but it's a large percentage. And unless they have something else that they want to do with their lives, they they are not getting out of that cycle. Yeah. Because even if they don't get caught when they get out, there chances are there was uh, the Flint Journal recently found in a study that in 2012 of X amount of murders committed in the city of Flint, 70% were recidivist felons. It, they, they just don't, there's, and I don't know what the cause is. I really don't know why that the system isn't, doesn't work better. And it's, it's a problem. And as far as I'm concerned, in my extremely right-wing view of it, it's because it's too easy. Yeah. Prison yep. prison doesn't suck as bad as it should. Does it suck enough for me to keep me out? Yeah, but not for everybody else. Yeah, that's true. You know, sometimes, and I, mean, I, am, I know that there are tons of, of, of materials out there about the psychology of a criminal. And, you know, there's tons of books sure. in there out there about serial killers and what drives them. And we, we opine as to all sorts of things. There's television shows about it. But, you know, I think that there, you're right. There are so many people that maybe are living worse outside of prison than what they would live right. inside of prison. And therefore, they have nothing to lose. So somewhere along the way, our society is failing people. And I don't know where that starts. I don't know if it starts when kids are born in a ghetto and there's not enough food and they have to turn to selling drugs in order to support their family. I don't know if it starts in the school system. I don't know where it starts, but somewhere as a society, we are failing people when you have people committing crimes over and over and over again. And you cannot tell me that this massive manhunt underway for the people that escaped from New York is not partially fueled by the fear that they're going to commit another crime. Because would you, you know, if, if they believe that these people were rehabilitated, well, wouldn't they be a little more comfortable knowing that these are now good guys who have escaped from prison? Yeah, but you know, that's they were not in the honor block for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have a prisoner escape, these are the guys you want to do it. Yes, they're extremely honorable. They're but honor, they're honorable thieves. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> but it, somewhere along the way, it just it doesn't work. And I think that you're right that prison is too easy for those people that really deserve it. And I think that some people end up going to jail for things that you know don't deserve it. I mean. Look, yeah, absolutely, as, absolutely. As much as I don't particularly like the story that involved that that New Jersey housewife Teresa Judice and her husband, sure. Um, I really believe, and I don't know these people at all, but I really believe that the woman Teresa 
shouldn't have gone to jail. I really think that she was along for the ride. Her husband knew what was going on. Um, and I don't mean anything negative about this, even though it's certainly going to sound negative, but I don't think that she was super business savvy or super intelligent on the business end of things. Sure. Yet she's going to jail, <laughs> and I understand that they're going to be releasing her earlier, so I hear. But my point is, is that that woman did very little wrong in my eyes compared to somebody that is a child abuser, molester, or somebody that has committed a real sure. crime that can have real impact. Yes, she was involved. No, there's a difference in, between a, a yeah. yeah. So I mean, how how does the prison system work in ways like that? I mean, it, it something just doesn't it doesn't work for me. You're right. I mean, I would never do anything that would land me in prison because I'm terrified of it, but. I don't think a lot of people are terrified of it. And I also don't think there's enough rhyme or reason for it once you get in there as a prisoner. Well, when you have a, well, when you have a recidivism rate of, uh, of what you have, it's obvious that it can't be that bad versus what yeah. you have now. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I mean, I, when, when, I, when I grab a hot electric burner and burn my hand, my, first, my next thought is, I don't want to do that again. Yep. And that's not what, that's not, these guys continue to grab the hot burner. And so it, it, I guess it just, you guys, when you get burned once and you don't mind getting burned, the second, third, and fourth times aren't that bad <laughs> compared yeah. to what you don't have. So, yeah. Uh, so you solve that, solve that problem. We're in good shape. <laughs> yeah. But in, in, in a real life story, the best man of my wedding, his mom was a prison employee and found herself in a similar situation. Not an escape, but uh, we'll say, we'll use the word befriended an inmate. Right. And um, within, the, within the confines of the structure. And sponsored his parole, and they promptly moved in with her, ousting his father. Wow. Tough story uh, for the wow. family. Um, and, 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 but in, again, in standard fashion, guess where Mr. Inmate is now? Right back in the hole. Yeah. Couldn't get yep. himself out of trouble. You know, speaking but, about. But the, 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 the fact is, those, those people use their users. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. You know, I mean, totally to realize that. Yep. But, you know, yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. Might, you might be able to speak about this uh, for a second because you were involved in it. I have um, some, some acquaintances who work in the correctional facilities in Jersey. And from what I see, <laughs> after a year or so of being employed there, it is a very, very uh, psychologically difficult job. Some of these people come out super depressed. They see things that you just don't want to mm -hmm. see on a daily basis, and it really affects them. I mean, I don't think I'd ever want that job because that job seems to be extremely difficult on somebody emotionally. So were you actually – you worked in corrections? I, yeah, it was um, 
it was minimum. Like I said, it was with juvies and uh, and adults, and the adults were on their way out. And it wasn't. Um, I will call it, it was, it, we'll call it minimum security. It's probably the best way to say. It. They were locked down. They just weren't locked down in bars. Right. So it wasn't wasn't a situation where you know, where you talk to some people, and yeah, it's it's a situation where you have to learn what to care about, what not to care about. Yeah. But you can when you're in, you can when you're see, in their piece, they're, they're going to do it. You can see how, and I'm certainly not defending Joyce Mitchell. I don't know anything about her aside from what CNN tells me. Uh, mm-hmm. You can see, though, how someone working the correctional uh, a correctional job that does not have that mental fortitude, does not have that level of Correct. confidence, and cannot properly yep. say. You know, and, and I hate to say this, I know it's going to sound politically incorrect and terrible, but, you know, to have that, that idea like, all right, I'm working at a zoo, I'm the zookeeper and, and, you know, you're the animals. I mean, I don't mean it that way, but I think from no, talking sure. to a lot of corrections officers, they do have that, that, that sort of mentality. If you don't have that, I think it's easy for someone to be manipulated by mm-hmm. a prisoner. And I know absolutely, uh, yeah. Convicts are like children. Yeah, and 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 you know, you can get so wrapped up in it because now you've got somebody who is behaving okay. You know, they might have committed a crime, but you you think you have fixed them. You think that by being kind to them, you have fixed them, and you've now uncovered that that inner soft spot, only to at some point be yourself exploited and, and manipulated to the point where now, you know, I don't know anything about Joyce. I'm going to just speculate because it's fun. But, you know, you could have someone <laughs> like her that just doesn't have that mental fortitude and, and got some attention oh. and felt important and made mm-hmm. bad decisions. So that leads me back to this question. What sort of psychological screening should be done for people who are looking for careers in the correctional facilities? And to what extent do you really need to test those people to make sure that they can do this job? And I don't know what the, that's a great question. I, I have no idea what the answer is because it is, I mean, especially unfortunately with females, it's like, you know, it, you know, seeing it, seeing it, they're, 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 they're looking for two things. They're looking for a mothering figure to to kind of get in that that well this if I can convince that that female that they're like my mother then now I can get an edge and I can get advantages or yeah. can I convince that can I convince that female that she's attractive that she means something that maybe what's happening at home isn't the best thing for her and that I could provide her some kind of glimmer of hope and it's exactly what happens and yeah. and you have to have uh, self esteem enough to not fall for that. And it's easy. It's, it's, you know, you go back to the zoo analogy. It's really, really hard not to fall for the cat that's rubbing against your leg and start petting him. But eventually yep. that cat's going to bite your hand off. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, and, and so, but it, 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 it's, it, we're, we're way far away from what's going to happen with this girl. And, and she, unfortunately, is probably going to end up behind bars. So, Yep, absolutely. So lucky she's lucky nothing worse has happened yet. I mean, there's a, to my knowledge there's been no murders I don't think from these two um and 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 her husband's still alive, thank goodness. 
Yeah, nope. It looks like uh, as far as CNN is reporting, you know, they're they're sort of on the trail by finding this DNA, but um, to date, nothing else. Sure. Now, you have no idea what's going to happen if these guys are ever cornered, what they're going to do. And then from a legal standpoint, what is what are the charges that are filed against Joyce if they commit murder? Now sure. you're looking at, you know, you're looking at criminal charges, obviously, for her. But if they murder somebody, can she be charged with a count of murder, whether it's first degree, all right, which probably would not happen. Uh, could it be manslaughter? Could it be accessory or something? Like yeah, exactly. Sure. I mean, what what could she be charged with? And And those charges could be super trumped up to the point where she's never, ever getting out of jail. She's going to die in jail. So very scary, very sad story, not for the escapees, but for Mitchell, um, because clearly there was something not right w- with her. And, and you right. have to go back and you have to question and say, were you really the right person for this correctional facility job? Because a lot of the, the guys that I talked to that were trying to get into a police, um, they, they graduate the police academy. Now they're trying to get into a police force, right, in the local town or whatever. And there's so many um, political games played on the local level to get a job at your local police department. So a lot of guys end oh, sure, up yeah. going into corrections as a, a holdover, something to do, something to build up their resume. And are they really equipped yes. for that? Because just like not every <laughs> police officer, not every patrolman who might be directing school traffic or might be directing construction traffic, that person might not be mentally capable of being on a homicide unit or a drug unit or a task force with that, where you actually are drawing your weapon and using it. And I think that you need as the employer, right. the state, Right. You need to to do more to make sure that the people that are going to be put in this job are mentally fit to handle it. You know, the same way that, 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 you know, when you go into the armed forces, there are levels of screening to determine whether or not you're equipped to handle life in the military. Oh, sure. And how you how you perform in training and you fail at a certain task what does that mean for your your graduation you may well, not graduate you may be sent home yeah. you know and a sure. lot of a lot of people like you know those who train to be navy seals they're not just looking at your physical um ability they're looking at your mental ability oh gosh no when you're sitting there laying in the sand and the waves are crashing over you for 30 hours in a row it has very little to do with your physical toughness it's mental and if you're not mentally equipped, you're not going to be a SEAL because that's an elite job. They, they, and I say elite because it requires a certain type of person. And even though you might not say a correctional officer is an elite position, it still requires some level of, uh, of mental toughness that maybe an other officer, another policeman, another graduate from the, the academy doesn't have. So can we take this story and drive it all the way back to a, a, an employment analysis and say, is it possible that as employers, the state is dropping the ball with respect to hiring the right people? 
and you don't know. It, it might be. You'd like to, you'd like to think, but uh, I, I don't trust <laughs> governmental hiring practices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too, too, much, too much in politics. It's it's absolutely true. Oh. Well, and, and here you go with you know with our next story: a murdered woman's parents are blaming the police. Omaha police in a mental health clinic let a domestic abuse suspect with an outstanding warrant walk freely out of custody and murder his estranged girlfriend. Her family is claiming in court. Michael Lloyd murdered Melissa Rodriguez in 2013, strangling her and dumping her in an open grave. He pleaded no contest to second-degree murder in April 2014 and was sentenced to 30 to 35 years in prison. Rodriguez's family criticized prosecutors for the plea deal, pointing out that with good time and time served, Lloyd could get out of prison in less than 14 years. They're saying that her life was worth so much more than what the judge gave for a sentence Tuesday, and that was just appalling. Her mother, Angela Rodriguez, said at the time, now Melissa Rodriguez was a college student back in the day. Her parents sued Omaha and the agency that was treating Lloyd for mental problems, Catholic Health Initiatives, the CHI Health Allegiant Crichton Clinic, and Lasting Hope Recovery Center of Catholic Health Initiatives. Lloyd, who confessed to the murder days after he returned to the facility, had twice called the Omaha Police Department in the previous weeks asking to be arrested. Only after Lloyd met with Omaha police officers and expressed a desire to kill was he taken into investigative custody and turned over to the Lasting Hope Recovery Center. He already had been diagnosed as schizophrenic and bipolar. Despite an outstanding warrant for domestic abuse charges that also involved Rodriguez, police declined to put Lloyd in jail on several occasions, preferring that he remain in custody of Lasting Hope, the family says. Foreseeably, the complaint states, while under the emergency protective custody hold and without supervision or authority, Lloyd left the Lasting Hope facility, found Melissa, coerced her out of their home, and then killed her. After meeting Rodriguez at a park on August 14th of 2013, he strangled her, dragged her body to an open grave in Graceland Park Cemetery, where a cemetery worker found her the next morning. Lloyd returned to Lasting Hope that evening and asked staff to wash his clothes, which were dirty and stained following the murder, according to the complaint. The staff complied and washed his clothes, effectively destroying evidence in the process, the family says. Rodriguez's parent, uh, Angela and Don Rodriguez, seek $21,201 in burial expenses and punitive damages for wrongful death, pain, and suffering and negligence. So here you've got, you know, <laughs> even the guy that, even the suspect or the uh, convicted suspect said, hey, you know, I'm probably not going to do well here, but the system is set up to fail. Yep. Absolutely. You know, and... I mean, do these... No, go ahead, Bob. Do these people even... I mean, we talk about uh, indemnification in in law enforcement. Um, Are these people going to really get anything from this? I mean, it seems kind of like they might. I think they will. I I think this is a a good um, analysis of a negligence claim, okay? Because these claims, Uh punitive damages for uh, wrongful death, for pain and suffering, and negligence, these are civil remedies. These are not criminal, even wrongful death. Wrongful death is not a criminal um, remedy. It's a civil remedy. And so the family, Mm -hmm. they're suing um, lasting hope under a theory of, of negligence. And so we've talked about negligence in the past a, a good deal, but um, one of the issues that is something that is not talked about enough is this idea of foreseeability. And they say in the complaint, 
foreseeably while under, you know, care, blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. you know that negligence is the um, the failure to provide due care under a particular set of circumstances. So there's elements to negligence, which are, A, you've got to own a duty of care. You've got to owe a duty of care to a particular uh, plaintiff. And then, B, you have to breach that duty of care. Now, if you're going to breach that duty of care, you know, the duty and the breach have to be something that is reasonably foreseeable, something that a reasonably prudent person would exercise under the circumstances. So in this case, is it foreseeable? Because that would be an argument on the defense that, hey, wait a minute, we mm-hmm. locked this guy in his room. There were no yeah. windows. Right. You know, completely not foreseeable that he would escape. We took every measure possible. Here, they leave him unattended. So if you have someone who has a criminal past and you leave them unattended and you give them freedom to roam, isn't it foreseeable, reasonably foreseeable, that this person might leave? So do you have a duty? Yes. Did you breach your duty? Well, is it reasonably foreseeable that this person left alone could leave? Yes. So the elements of negligence are here. Because going back to the analysis of the duty of care, the breach, and then is the breach of duty the proximate or direct cause of the damages, we, we use this term, but for. But for the facility allowing this guy to escape, but for him having that freedom, this murder wouldn't have taken place. Therefore, I think all of the elements of negligence mm-hmm. are a hit, and I think that there will be, uh, I think they have a good case, definitely a good case. Well, and can you apply that same negligence test to the prior case we're talking about with the escaped convicts, if they were to kill? Is it foreseeable that they could murder somebody? Well, you'd have to go and you'd have to say, well, who is going to be at the end of that negligence stick? Is it the state or is it the individual? Mm-hmm. So, you know, conceivably, oh, okay. conceivably, the family of a murdered victim of the escapees, let's assume for a minute that someone gets murdered as a result of the escape. Um, there would be criminal charges added to Joyce's and you know uh, existing charges, and that would involve accessory to murder, maybe involuntary manslaughter, any of those those charges, which would land her in jail. But then the family still has the right to a civil remedy, and that civil claim could be negligence, wrongful death, just like there is here. Now they could bring that claim against Joyce individually, sure. but you'd have to look at whether or not it would be worthwhile to do that aside from an attorney taking it for publicity purposes, how much money does Joyce have? Could you satisfy a judgment? Is it worth doing it? Would be the analysis. Um, But then do you have, as the family of a murder victim, do you have a claim against the state? And so that becomes a much more difficult issue because if you apply that same negligence analysis to the state, they're going to say, did we owe a duty of care? to this person. And I'm going to say, no, they didn't owe a duty of care to that person. Somebody who is so remote. I mean, 
miles and miles away from the prison. Did the prison owe a duty of care to them? No. I mean, maybe they owed a duty of care in general to the public, but legally speaking, is there a direct duty of care analysis? I, I don't know. Let's assume that there is. Let's assume that they expand and they say, you have a duty of care to protect everybody from this guy. Then you go into the next portion of it. Did you breach that duty? Is it foreseeable that this woman, this prison guard, would help them escape? And I would argue no, because they're going to say, we screened her. She was a worker here for a number of years. She did a good job. We had performance evaluations. Mm -hmm. There was nothing negative about her. Therefore, it was not foreseeable that the intentional actions of another person would lead to this murder. So I don't think that there's any negligence on the part of the jail. I think the negligence would be on her sure. only. So, but that's her part, interesting yeah, all, of, yeah. all the things that she did. So. Yep. So, and as you continue down, I mean, as we continue through the news, we continue to talk about ne- negligence in some of the things you just covered, where a YMCA camp whose pig injured your child is not liable because the pig had never hurt anyone in the past. Not foreseeable. The Indiana Court of Appeals ruled. Jake Gruber was 11 when he attended the Flat Rock River YMCA camp in St. Paul, Indiana. Marcus Lydolt, a naturalist at the camp, owned a pig, and that pig lived at the camp for nine months out of the year. The pig had never hurt anyone and was allowed to roam the camp freely. On April 19th of 2011, Lydolt took 12 kids, including Jake, into the pig pen. Afterwards, Jake was standing outside the pen when the pig stuck its head through the bars and grabbed his hand. Assuming with his mouth, because as we all know, pigs don't have opposable thumbs. Jake went to the emergency room for x-rays on his hand. He was given antibiotics and was told to follow up with his doctor. Now, of course, almost two years later, Jake and his mother, Jill Sherman, sued the camp, the Ruth Lilly YMCA Outdoor Center, and the YMCA of Greater Indianapolis. Claiming negligence, the plaintiffs alleged that the YMCA should have known that the pig had dangerous propensities. A trial court ruled in the defendant's favor stating that they had never received any complaints or had any previous incidents with the pig at issue. On appeal, the plaintiffs conceded that the pig was a domestic animal and that owners of domestic animals are usually found liable if they knew their animals had dangerous propensities. That's that word, if. However, they argued that a pig should not be compared to a dog or a cat, which provides companionship as someone's pet. Indiana Court of Appeals disagreed, though, and ruled in the YMCA's favor. We, however, declined the plaintiff's invitation to impose a strict liability standard on the owners of domestic animals that are not cats or dogs, Chief Justice Nancy A. Vidic wrote on behalf of the court's three-judge panel. This is because our Supreme Court has made clear that this rule applies to all domestic animals, not just dogs and cats, she added. So the pig had never been violent, violent before, except when you maybe talk about bacon, but uh, who wouldn't be, really? That's right. Well, what this brings up is the one bite rule that certain states have. So New York has a one bite rule. If you have a dog, a cat, any domesticated animal, I guess even an iguana or or perhaps a snake, um, (laughs) you get a free bite. As the pet owner, you get a free bite because unless you know that that animal has a dangerous propensity, and how would you know that, a, that an, an animal has dangerous propensity? You know, one of two ways. A, they've bitten somebody in the past. Because if they've bitten somebody in the past, it's foreseeable that they do it again. They have a dangerous propensity. That would be one way. Number two, certain sure. breeds. Pit bulls, uh, Rottweilers, they are known to be trained and bred 
to be aggressive. And so it could be uh, reasonably foreseeable that those animals have an innate dangerous propensity. Now, in New Jersey, unlike um, the story that you read about the YMCA and New York, there is not the one-bite rule. In New Jersey, if your animal, if your dog bites somebody and they don't have a dangerous propensity and they've never bitten anybody again, you're strictly liable for that dog bite. So you're walking down the street and somebody's dog gets loose and they bite you, you can sue them for damages. Unlike New York, unlike uh, Indiana, they have that one-bite rule. So you get a free bite if you're the dog owner. But if you know that your dog has bitten somebody before, (laughs) then, you know, you have strict liability as well. (laughs) Sorry. Kids start wearing T-shirts that read free samples. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting that you talk about a pit bull, and there's another case, of course, saying killing of a dog can't be based on breed, at least in West Virginia. A pit bull terrier cannot be destroyed for injuring an 18-year-old boy after the West Virginia Supreme Court reversed a circuit court decision that was based on the inherent viciousness of the dog's breed. The dog owners were found not guilty of knowingly harboring a vicious animal after two hearings on the case in Wayne County Circuit Court, but the circuit court ordered the dog's destruction anyway based on the presumption that pit bull breeds are inherently vicious and unpredictable. Circuit Court's decision relied solely upon a breed-specific presumption that is not upheld as a matter of law, the Supreme Court ruled, though, and thus the higher court reversed the decision. Tinkerbell, which is what I name most pit bulls, a (laughs) two-year-old pit bull terrier is very high energy. (laughs) <laughs> had never shown any signs of aggressive behavior with her original foster family, her current owners, or any visiting children, according to court documents. In the June 16th ruling, Justice Brent D. Benjamin held that the circuit court erred as a matter of law in its interpretation that Tinkerbell was automatically vicious based on her breed and that the single incident hardly qualified as proof that she was. There's a presumption that pit bull terrier breeds are dangerous, aggressive, a public health hazard, and are unpredictable in nature. Yes, there is. The circuit court order <laughs> directing Tinkerbell's destruction stated, West Virginia statute does not contain a breed-specific presumption, though, Benjamin wrote, and therefore the circuit court can only consider a dog's past behavior when determining whether a dog poses a future risk of harm when the dog owner's behavior, excuse me, when the dog's behavior does not constitute a risk of future harm. Benjamin said the court may not exercise its authority to have the dog euthanized. So there you go. Depending on where you live, we'll uh, yeah. basically... Determine your pet's outcome. Absolutely right. You just, you know, it, it, it falls into what your state laws are. You need to know them if you're a, a pet owner um, because sure. there are many states out there that will take a pit bull and say that you're an inherently dangerous breed with a propensity for violence or viciousness. So here, thankfully, Peter Pan has come to the rescue of Tinkerbell and saved <laughs> Tinkerbell from certain death. Um, yeah, absolutely. Didn't have to walk the plank. Never walk the plank, yes, exactly. So good <laughs> you go. Good for Tinkerbell. A little yeah. scary All right. out. <laughs> does that wrap us up? Does that wrap that us wraps up for the day? Up. It does. That's going to do it. We're going to end on Tinkerbell, who uh, very fortunate today. Very fortunate. All about dogs and prisoners and whether or not they can negligence can be found. Yep. Well, you know, there's some good points that we made today. Um, the negligence point, I think, is something that everybody needs to Absolutely. understand because negligence can come in so many different forms. And really interesting to look at some of the laws that we have in the country and why we do the things we do. You know, sometimes we'll talk about news stories on this show, and 
Um, maybe you're wondering why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about the the Confederate you know flag? But you know it's interesting because these laws that are out there need to be questioned. And I think if we sit back and just accept everything that we're given, I think that we could very easily become a a 1984 society. I think that sure, absolutely. we, yeah, you need to question, you need to look at things, you need to poke fun at it, and you need to say, why is this here? Does this make sense? You need to hypothesize, you know, could this be the reason? And I think it's important that we do that. So, you know, that's that's why some of these stories, I think, are, we spend so much time on today, because it's worth questioning and looking at things from a different perspective, not just from what um, the the mainstream news is reporting. I think it's important for us to talk about okay. it in our own personal views. Yeah, and pass it along. So that's why we do what we do. We want to stimulate Absolutely. your 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 neurons and your synapses so that you can read. Yeah, and I may not, uh, and you may be the same way. We may, may not always agree with what the court is is saying, but you know what we believe and what makes sense may always be two different things. Absolutely right. Well, on that note, we are going to end today's show. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that we've got shows the rest of this week. We've got tomorrow um, with live legal Q&A. We also have on Wednesday a show all about how to successfully generate a passive income. That's going to be a really good show uh, for those of you out there who are interested in creating some sort of passive income stream on Thursday. Uh, we have Bob Anello on the show, and all these things will be posted on utlradio.com. But we have a lot of things going on this week, so make sure that you tune in. If you cannot listen live, make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel so you know when new videos come out, or that you subscribe on iTunes. Um, we have, you know, a really good, I think, variety of programming on UTL Radio because we do news and public events that Bob and I cover. We do legal business and Q&A, which really just answers somebody's question about either a legal matter or a business thing. But so many of us out there can learn from that discussion and from that question because the person who asked the question is not one in a million. There are a million other people out there with the same question. So that's important. And, um, you know, You're now, right, yeah. yeah. And now with, um, you know, the, the Wednesday show, being more about business, talking about uh, generating passive income, that's certainly something that is important. And then, of course, our Understanding Business shows on Thursday. We are, as I've been um, talking about, we are, Bob and I, going to be doing a Wednesday show, which is going to be very exciting. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be called On a Different Note, and it's going to be a discussion with musicians or solo uh, acts or bands, anybody in the music industry, and we're going to be talking to them about their music, their experiences in business, because music as a business is an interesting topic, and some of their uh, issues with law, legal things, contracts, and um, maybe getting arrested for marijuana, or any of those things that we can, we can think of <laughs> to tie it all together. But it's going to be a very interesting show. We are getting guests lined up and hoping to launch. I think that we have scheduled tentatively right now our first show on uh, July 1st with Nate Maingard. Uh, that looks like it's 
and we're going to be talking to him. Nate Maingard is a South African modern uh, troubadour and indie folk singer-songwriter. He has been playing guitar, writing songs, and appearing on stage since 1998, and has been playing as a professional musician since the beginning of 2011. His last EP was crowdfunded, and he's now 100% supported by patrons. So this is really going to be an interesting show because you've got an artist. Bob and I talked a couple weeks ago about how the music industry has changed. And a lot of people are self-publishing, self-promoting, and building their, their brand and their album through crowdfunding. So we're going to talk to Nate about that on July 1st. No, and that's, and that's the you know you, you don't have the money out there. You don't you have all these different avenues now that produce acts. You know, it's not just the record industry anymore. There's television shows. There's all sorts of different. There's YouTube, um, and for someone to take really the bull by the horns like Nate has and just really put his um, faith and his career in the hands of the people that enjoys music is you. How many people have you eliminated from that? Uh, from that from that signal chain, yeah, <laughs> it, absolutely. It's, going, it's very very pure, which is exciting. Yep. So we're going to be talking to him about that. So we will start promoting the on a different note shows. We're going to be wrapping up the Wednesday business and legal Q and A. We were kind of doing Tuesday and Wednesday, and uh, and sticking with this new show on Wednesday. So uh, we received a lot of positive feedback when we promoted the idea, or at least uh, initially discussed it. And I thank you for that. But um, my long-winded goodbye for today, that's going to do it. I want to thank again Audible for sponsoring the show. Remember <laughs> to go to audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio to get your free audio book. Don't forget to tune in to the show the rest of the week. Bob and I will be back next week for Business and Legal uh, Week in Review and see what other sort of things we can dig up and criticize throughout the, uh, throughout the show. So that's going to do it. Bob, you have a good week. I'll talk to you on Monday. Yeah. And uh, remember that there's power in understanding the law. It's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.